So you are in Mark chapter 8. We continue our study through the gospel of Mark. This is week 32. Now, if you're a guest with us this morning, we've not gone 32 straight weeks. We take a break here and there to kind of check out some other parts of Scripture and some other things God might be doing actively in our uh, church body. But we are back in the last few weeks uh, to continuing our study through the gospel of Mark. So I heard this story this week, and it was was kind of moving at first. Carl is a gentleman who plays golf every Tuesday morning and has a tee time at 8 o'clock. And Carl and his three buddies that he meets up with and plays golf with every week were uh, on, the, on a fairway. I think it was like the seventh or eighth hole long stretch fairway. And, and Carl and the guys are just up close enough to the, to the green that they're about to chip up uh, further up onto the green. And Carl notices a funeral procession driving by the street, running along the fairway there. And uh, he stops and he takes his hat off and he lays his pitching wedge down and he stands with his hat over his heart. And after the funeral procession goes by, Carl's buddies had taken their hats off, he noticed. And one of them comments, and man, Carl, that was, that was moving. That was uh, such a great demonstration of compassion. I'm so proud of you. Carl puts his hat back on and picks up his wedge and says, well, it's the least I could do. We would have been married 27 years next Thursday. (laughs) So we are talking about compassion this morning. We're talking about something a little deeper than what Carl understood compassion to be. In fact, our whole study through the Gospel of Mark has been designed, and the purpose for doing this is that we have said from the beginning, we want to understand Jesus more so we can experience him deeper in our lives, so we can identify his activity around us. This morning, I trust that by the time we work our way through these 10 verses of of Mark chapter 1, you will have a better understanding of the compassion of Jesus and that it is a compassion that is toward you this morning. Wherever you are in a relationship to him, whether, whether you, you, you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior or you've known him for 90 years and have served him faithfully, wherever you are, today I pray that you will understand his compassion a little bit better. Um, compassion is spoken of quite often in the Gospels. There's at least eight occasions in the Gospels where the compassion of Jesus is either identified and, and, and uh, evidenced or spoken about or spoken of. Uh, and what's interesting is as you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all the places it talks about the compassion of Jesus, it's somebody else. It's usually the writer of that gospel saying Jesus had compassion. What's unique about Mark chapter 1 today as we read it is that it's, it's Jesus saying from his own lips, I have compassion for this crowd. I think that's very interesting this morning. We're going to hear straight from the mouth of Jesus. But what's, what's interesting about his compassion is his compassion is not just words. His compassion is, is attitude and action, and that's, that's what we're going to discover this morning. We're actually going to look at an event that happens this morning that seems very, very similar to an event we read back in Mark 6. Remember there, Jesus fed the 5,000 plus their, their wives and children, so approximately maybe 20,000 people he fed back in Mark 6 with five loaves and two small fish. This morning we're going to read about him feeding the 4,000. Now some critics of the Bible will say, look, there's one of your contradictions. This is why we can't believe the Bible because there's contradictions. But you have to understand this is a completely separate event altogether. 
In fact, in, in, and it's in a totally different location and a totally different group of people. In fact, an entirely different race of people. In Mark 6, Jesus performs that feeding of the 5,000, that great miracle of multiplying the food to the Jewish community. In that crowd, where he was in Capernaum, that's all Jews, the majority of it. The majority of it was Jews. As we saw in chapter 7, he's moved down into the region of Tyre and Sidon and all of that area. He's now in Gentile territory. So this miracle of the feeding of the 4,000 is a totally separate event, and it's for a Gentile crowd. Now, here's another interesting thing if you've been following along with us is two weeks ago, we talked about the miracle where Jesus delivered the Syrophoenician woman's daughter from demon possession. Remember the conversation seemed really weird to us that Jesus says, it's not right for me to give the children's meat to the dogs. He was calling Gentile dog, but we talked about that. We we resolved that. And uh, now that's exactly what he's doing. He's taking his miracle power, his provision to the Gentiles. He's breaking barriers. This is one of the reasons the religious leaders despised him, was he would break these, these divides, these, these racial barriers and divides that had been established. So with that in context, let's take Mark chapter 8. We're going to read the first 10 verses this morning. It says, and in those days when again, so another crowd, another great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and he said to them, I have compassion on this crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. But if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from very far. So we hear the heart of Jesus in his words. He's expressing this this compassion that he has. He's concerned for their well-being. And his disciples answered him and said, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Apparently, and we're going to look at this a little closer next week when we talk about the leaven and the bread that Jesus has to explain to the disciples, they have been a little short-sighted. They, 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 they don't understand the depth of that feeding of the 5,000 just a few months earlier. So they say, well, how, how are you going to do this, Jesus? And in verse 5, he asked them, he said, how many loaves do you have? They said, we have seven. Now, by the way, these are not big, huge, uh, six-foot Subway sandwich types of bread. This is typically little, about four to five inches, almost like a tortilla size, but a little bit thicker than a tortilla. That's Texas, okay? That's the best way a Texas pastor can explain what this bread might look like. So there's seven loaves of that. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them, and he gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. Verse 8, and they ate, and say it with me, were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. So how many loaves did they have? Seven. Multiplied into seven full baskets. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha, or however you want to say that in Texan. So we have here three truths this morning to understand about Jesus, his compassion, and his miracles. His miracles intended for you. 
First truth is this. The compassion of Jesus hurts. The compassion of Jesus hurts. Now let me, let me help you understand what I mean by that. Verse 2, Jesus says, I have compassion on this crowd. So the dictionary definition of passion goes something like this. Compassion would be considered sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings of others. Notice the key word, sympathetic pity and concern for the suffering of others. That's the dictionary definition. But there's a different definition for this word compassion used here in Mark chapter 8 and through the Gospels. As we look to the original uh, writing in the Greek New Testament, we discover that this word translated compassion means to have sympathy. But it means to have such a deep sympathy that it yearns from the bowels. That's right, I said bowels in church. It means to feel this compassion from way down inside. In fact, when Jesus tells the disciples, I I have compassion on this crowd. What he has is he sees they've been with him for three days and they've not bugged him for food. They've not been waiting for food. They're there for him. They're enthralled with his teaching and with what he's doing. They have a spiritual hunger. And can I just give you a side note this morning? Every time you walk in the doors of a church, a a Christ-centered, Bible-based church, be it Victory Family Church or any other of the great churches around us in our community, when you come ready hungry, and willing to press in with Jesus, he will never send you home at noon spiritually hungry. You will have a fulfillment of some nature. He will have spoken to you. He will have revealed himself. He will have moved in you. He will have moved around you. He will have done something if you hunger for him. Okay, back to the message now. This compassion, it's something he feels deep down inside. It it stirs his his stomach. It, It literally means to see someone suffering and feel a physical response to what you see. Okay, so there's a little difference here in, in something. I, uh, I'm kind of squeamish, okay? Every time Jim Fry shows me his five-stitched-up finger, his five-stitches finger, I have to hold it in because I'm squeamish. Now, that's not compassion. That's being a weenie <laughs> on my part. Did he just say amen? <laughs> oh, I, thought, I heard him say so. I thought he said Amen. That's just being a, a weenie on my part. Compassion, so that's that being a weenie, I feel it down here. I'm like, oh, 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 give me a chair, quick. But for to have compassion on Jim, it would be to feel the pain that he felt, to, to be moved, to, to do something to help him. And I don't know what I can do to help Jim, but I'll help him because I just made a commitment in front of God and all of these witnesses this morning. But that's compassion. It's being moved on the inside. So maybe you've had an experience like that, that you've seen somebody's plight in life, and, and it just moves you to, you just, it's like your heart sinks. It's like everything inside of you just, it just sunk for a minute. Almost like it takes the, the breath out of you. When you were a kid, did you ever get punched in the stomach and lose your breath? Most of the men are shaking their head because we got in fights on the playground. But it's almost you feel that 
and roller coaster when there's true compassion in a situation. So I had this wonderful privilege this last Thursday to meet at our uh, Assembly of God District office with um, a few other pastors. We were invited in to meet with some of the leadership of this dynamic ministry that we have in our fellowship. We, we've worked with them before. Many of you have been a part of it. Convoy of Hope. The Convoy of Hope is a, is a, a disaster relief ministry. Jacksboro got hit with tornadoes. What night was that? Was that Monday or Tuesday? Monday? On Wednesday, Convoy of Hope trucks were pulling into Jacksboro full of food and clothes and things to help with. When Haiti had the great earthquakes a few years ago, the first relief organization before Red Cross or anybody else showed up, Convoy of Hope. They're in 29 countries, but they do more than just disaster relief. And so they were asking us to kind of help them brainstorm some things about how to get compassion ministries more into the local church. And because of our Victory Cares ministry and the families we minister to monthly, I was invited to be a part of that. Well, one of the story, the story of Hal Donaldson starting it was that he grew up in a minister's home. He was a minister. He's a credentialed Assemblies of God minister. But he had an experience walking through an inner city area, and he saw the homeless, and he, and he saw the hunger, and he, he saw the despair, and he saw the hopelessness in their faces. And it so moved him that he became sick to his stomach. And it so moved him that he had to do something to relieve this. And that something was find a way to bring help and relief to the hurting, to the broken. You've probably had that experience. What I find interesting here is Jesus says, I have compassion. I have this yearning on the inside. I'm, I'm hurting on the inside for the plight of this crowd. And, and I think it was more than just the food situation, right? He, he, he cried out for, his, for Jerusalem and Israel. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who, who persecute the prophets and kill them. His heart yearned. And, and he says, I have compassion on this crowd. And, and what I find interesting is that he felt compassion for every one of them. One of the things that came up in our brainstorm meeting with the leaders of Convoy of Hope on Thursday was the idea of compassion fatigue. It's a newer term that's out. But you can become so worn out in giving compassion to people and meeting their needs that, that you neglect your own. And yet Jesus could have compassion on the entire crowd, every single one of them. And how many others through the Gospels do we read that Jesus had compassion? He had compassion on the crowds who were chasing after him. And what did he say? I see them like sheep without a shepherd. It hurts me. He had compassion on the demon-possessed boy and the desperation of his father who was calling out to Jesus to help his son. He had compassion on the widow who had just lost her son, and they were actually leading her son out to be buried. And he had compassion, as I said, on the entire city of Jerusalem, which really was for all of Israel, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. But the fact that he left heaven to come to earth to die for us was his compassion for all of humanity. So he not only had compassion this day for the crowd of 4,000, but but he has compassion for all of humanity. Look at your neighbor and say, you're part of humanity. That means Jesus has compassion for you. Your hurt hurts him. Your pain pains him. Your fear affects his own emotion toward you. His very nature is compassion. Isaiah 53, and we're going to go back and forth to Isaiah 53 a little bit because 
over 700 years before Jesus came, the prophet Isaiah, through the anointing of the Holy Spirit, sees and prophesies and speaks about the crucifixion, the death of this anointed one, the Messiah, when he will eventually come. And, and in Isaiah 53, 5, he says, surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. Now, Isaiah doesn't know fully what all that means. It's still 700 plus years away. You and I have read the story. We have believed the story. And so we know what Jesus experienced, or we can know it as well as we can know it in our, our human experience. It says he took up our pain. That word pain in the Hebrew means sorrows, our sufferings, our griefs and afflictions, our wounds and our brokenness. He took all of that upon himself, and it says he bore that. He, he carried all of our brokenness. He carried all of our sin. He carried all of our suffering, all of our grief, all of our fears. He carried all of that upon himself. And then it says, so he, he bore our pain, or he, he took up our pain, and he bore our sufferings. Sufferings is the burdens that you carry, you and I carry, because of our pain. So you have pain today because there's, there's brokenness in your life. There's a relationship that's not right, and it, it pains you. There's a, a, a situation that's creating great anxiety for you, and it, it pains you that you can't change it just yet. The plight of your children away from the Lord today, it, it, it pains you. And so suffering is the weight of that. That's when you carry that, and it affects you, spirit, soul, and body, mind, will, and emotion. And it says Jesus took the pain, the brokenness, and then he took the weight of all of that and he carried it for us. And where he carried it to was the cross. With great compassion for you and I, he allowed his blood to be shed that we could be healed. That we could be healed. That's the compassion of Jesus. So this morning, what does that all mean for you right now? It means that Jesus feels what you feel. Jesus fully understands what you're experiencing. In fact, look at, uh, with me at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 to 16. It says, For we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who is unable to empathize, or that word means compassion, have compassion with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Say this with me. Yet he did not sin. So he understands. Without sinning, he experienced temptation. Without sinning, he knows what it was to be rejected and feel that aloneness. When he's in the garden for hours that night, the last night that he is free before his arrest and his crucifixion later that day, he, he's alone in the garden and he can't even keep his disciples away. He knows what it is to feel lonely. When he cries on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knows what it is to feel forgotten. So he understands us. Oh, but look at verse 16. Because of that, the writer of Hebrews says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Mm -hmm. So in a few moments... We're going to have some time to pray for, for each other and pray for needs this morning. And because of what Jesus knows about you 
and your need and the weight you're carrying, you can have a confidence to approach him this morning and to find help and grace in your need. So Jesus knows and he understands. He is moved by your need. But he's moved to action, which leads us to the second truth. He's moved to help us. This is the second truth. The compassion of Jesus helps. He doesn't just feel for us and hurt in his compassion for us. He, he's moved to help us. He's moved to do something. Jesus was concerned that on their way home they would, they would faint or they would become ill and, 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 and famished and, and could be injured or, or even die perhaps. He just feels this compassion. They've been with him three days, yet they never left and ran for food. Jesus feels such a deep compassion that he feels he needs to do something about the need. So he asked the disciples, what do you have? How can we do this? And they reply, how can one feed this crowd with bread in this desolate place? Let's think about that statement for just a moment. So apparently it's possible they have forgotten about the incredible miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 and how easy Jesus was able to pull that off. Maybe they think Jesus wouldn't or shouldn't do this for Gentiles. Remember, he did it for Jews in, in Mark 6. Maybe they're thinking, Jesus, you're not gonna, surely you're not going to throw this children's bread to the dogs. Possibly that's what they're saying. But most likely what it is is an interpretation of them actually asking, what are you planning on doing about it? What are you thinking about doing? about this need, Jesus. Jesus asks them what they have, and again, he takes what they are able to give him, and he multiplies it. Isaiah 49, verse 13, let it bring some encouragement to you this morning, says this, shout for joy, you heavens rejoice. You earth, burst into song, you mountains. Why? What's the big deal? For the Lord comforts his people, and he will have compassion on his afflicted ones. Now think about that. He's going to bring comfort, and he's going to bring compassion. Maybe, he need, maybe you need the comfort now. Maybe you need the compassion right now. The prophet Isaiah, speaking through the voice of God, says, rejoice. Rejoice. What he's saying here is, you can trust me, God's saying. You can trust me to comfort and have compassion on you. So don't worry and be so overwhelmed that you can't worship me. You ever walk into a worship service? pretty overwhelmed with the events of the week or what's coming up, and it, it's hard to worship. And here's your encouragement right here. God is saying, look, I'm going to come through, so worship me. I'm going to bring comfort. I'm going to show up. Go ahead and worship me because it's a done deal. It's as good as done. It's God's word. We see his compassion. And it moves them to bring comfort. Hebrews 2. Again, the author of Hebrews says, For this reason he had to be made like them, like us, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Jesus had to, to come in a human body. You've heard me say it before. It's been a while, but if you've been around a while, you've heard me say that that uh, there, were, there were two things God can't do. Even though the Word says nothing is impossible, God, God can't 
uh, lie, and God can't die. And he can't be tempted. So there's three. He can't be tempted. So to deal with what we experience and to feel what we feel, God put on a human body, came down here to experience what we experience so that he could die to save us from what we experience in this life called sin and the destruction of it. And then he rose from the dead. And he goes back to the Father. And he makes intercession for us. And he says, Father, I, I, I know exactly what Mary's going through. May you give her mercy. May you give her grace. May you bring her miracle into existence. And then it says in verse 18, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those. There's the help that his compassion brings. Jesus is so moved with compassion for you that he's moved to do something about your situation. Jesus was moved to take the punishment of your sin upon himself and carry it to the cross. Jesus was so moved with compassion that he would die in your place on the cross. He would take the death your sin deserved and he would take it for you. Think about this word compassion. Compassion is a compound word. I don't know much about the English grammar lingo stuff, but I do know a compound word means there's more than one word put together to make one word. They compound. Right? I don't know if that's really what that means or not, but I do know compound is two words, right? So think about this. You got the word passion, compassion. You got the big word passion. And then you got the, the prefix. There's another big grammar word for you. Com, C-O-M. In Latin, you know what com means? With. When you have compassion, when Jesus has compassion, it is him doing what he does with passion. With passion. What would cause Jesus to leave the glory of heaven and come to this earth to experience life for 33 and a half years on this place? He was moved with a passion for you and I. He was moved with a passion to forgive your sin and free you from the weight and the guilt. He was moved with compassion to heal your soul and to make you whole once again. He was moved with passion to fill you with his Holy Spirit and empower you with the life-giving nature of his very spirit that raised him from the dead. Jesus is moved with passion for your situation. His compassion hurts him to the point that he helps. And his help leads us to the third truth of understanding this morning. The compassion of Jesus heals. His help is always healing. Now I'm talking healing in a broader sense. I'm talking healing of being whole. Spirit, soul, and body. Mind, will, and emotion. It says that Jesus gave thanks for the bread, gave it to the disciples. They fed the crowd. And the crowd, it says, they ate and they were satisfied. They were satisfied. They may not have got all they wanted, but they weren't hungry. They weren't interested in seconds yet. They were okay with what they had. They were satisfied. You see what Jesus has just done? He's just healed their hunger. 
and their fatigue. Compassion always brings relief, comfort, hope, and fulfillment. Again, the meeting on Thursday with Convoy of Hope, one of the, one of the things somebody mentioned that we were asked, what, is, what does compassion mean? And then it was asked, what do you know Convoy of Hope does? They wanted to know, what do we know about it? Are they getting their message across? Are they, are they connecting well with our churches with this idea of compassion? And one of, the, one of the individuals in the room said, when I think of Convoy of Hope, I think of I knew what they meant. We talked about the big red truck pulling into a community. And when you've lost everything, and you don't have anything but the clothes on your back, and you don't even have any diapers because they've been wiped away, and you don't, have, you don't have stuff, you don't have anything. And you're, you're staying in a school or a church gymnasium until they figure this all out. And immediately the big red truck pulls in with food couple of changes of clothes, water. What do you feel? You're overwhelmed with the destruction. You're overwhelmed with loss and grief. And then there's help. And you can go another day because you just, you just became energized. Somebody knows where we are. Somebody knew to get that big red truck to this parking lot today. And it's just what I needed today. The compassion of Jesus is to heal, to make whole. Let's go back to Isaiah 53 for a moment. It says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Say this with me. And with his wounds, we are healed. With his wounds, we are healed. Think about this for a moment this morning, guys. Every wound of Jesus, all of those piercings, all of those stripes with the beating of the cat of nine tails and, and all the flesh that was, was destroyed and, and torn and the piercing of the sides and the piercing of the hands and the crown of thorns on his head and the, the bleeding and the atrocity that was taking place. What do we call that? We call that the passion of Christ. Why would he suffer? Why would God suffer like that for his creation? Because he's come with a passion for us. And his healing, every one of those wounds cries out that he heals our sin. And every wound cries out he gives us forgiveness. Every wound on his body that was bleeding cries out, I have compassion for you. I give peace into your anxious, troubled, uncertain lives. Every wound and every stripe on his body, he cries out, I have joy unspeakable and full of glory for your spirit of heaviness. I have hope crying out from these wounds. His wounds cry out, I have the fulfillment and contentment you desire in life. I have relief from what you're experiencing. Every wound on Christ brings that healing of wholeness. The compassion of Jesus means he cares greatly about the cares you are carrying. Let me say it again. The 
compassion of Jesus this morning means he cares greatly about the cares you are carrying in this very moment. He has not forgotten you. He is not unable to sympathize with where you find yourself right now. He is not up there and you down here and him up here just thinking, man, I wish they'd just get it together. Come on, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You're a Texan. Get up and get back in the saddle again. That's not what he's doing. He's moved by what's hurting you. He's got an answer. He's got a presence that he's bringing. He's got a miracle that's in the making. This message, this teaching today is given to us to help encourage us to stay the course. The coming of Jesus was an act of his compassion. The very encounters that we read in the Gospels of people encountering Jesus face to face, there were acts of his compassion. His very crucifixion was the most extreme and selfless demonstration of his compassion. How about this? His very resurrection, the reason we're here today, was actually an act of his compassion. It was a desire on his part that we would not die and be buried to the grave for eternity. It was his desire that we would live with him forever. And so he would choose to die for us that we could live with him. And that in rising from the dead and ascending back to the right hand of the Father to make intercession, He would fill us with His glorious Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus told the disciples, look, I'm going to go away. And they were bummed. And Peter even rebuked him. Come on, that's not, not you. And Jesus said, no, get behind me, Satan. i got to do this to fulfill the plan. i got to go through the cross and through the grave. But once I go through the grave, I'm going to send he says, I'm going to send the counselor. I'm going to send the, in the, in the Greek, it's the parakletos. The, the, means one who's going to come right alongside you and walk this with you. He's filled you with his very presence of his spirit. And watch this. I want to touch base on these seven baskets just as we close. Okay, you're saying, okay, Pastor, when you're wrapping up, wrapping up. This is the first conclusion. Actually, what I just told you was the first one in my notes, but this is the second conclusion. So we have seven basketfuls filled up, right? In the feeding of the 5,000, you had 12 baskets. Now, you have seven. Let me show you something different between these two events. The first feeding of the 5,000, the, the basket, the word for basket there in the Greek is kofinos. It's a small basket, almost like something, not even maybe a basket, but almost like a, uh, something you could carry on your side. It would be just enough to hold one or two meals. So the disciples walked away with a meal or two that day after they picked up the 12 baskets. They were small baskets. In this feeding of the 4,000, the word used for baskets here is a totally different word in the Greek New Testament, and it's the word spiridos, and it references a large basket. And how do I know that? Acts chapter 9, the apostle Paul is coming under persecution and the city's coming out to arrest him and, and kill him. And the believers lower Paul out the, the wall over the city of Damascus in a basket, in a spiridos. So in the feeding of the 5,000, it's a small basket. In the feeding of the 4,000, it's big enough to hold an apostle. Do you have an apostle basket this morning? 
They had enough. Plenty. Moved by compassion, Jesus helps and he heals beyond what we can imagine. You say, I'm waiting for it, Pastor. I've been waiting for months. I've been waiting for years. Let today be an encouragement. Let today be a for you that he knows he's at work he will be faithful he will come through Ephesians 3 verse 20 I want us to read this out loud together this morning now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. According to what? His power. What power? The power he left with us is his power at work right now. So maybe you don't see your basket full of bread manifest right in front of you yet. The miracle could be taking place here right now. The fact that you still showed up to worship him. The fact that you still desire to look at him in his word and discover who he is in a, in a deeper fashion. That's just another step. It's another step toward the miracle. Toward the provision. Toward the salvation. Toward the healing. It's another step.